Would you all stand with me as we read 2 John? It'll be up here on the screen on your Bibles. It's right before 3 John. Let's read God's Word. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very gl glad to find some of your children were walking in truth, in keeping with the command we have received from the Father. So now I ask you, dear lady, not as if I were writing to you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the command, as you have heard it from the beginning, that you walk in love. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and don't greet him. For the one who greets him shares in his evil works. Though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you greetings. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we pray that we would be reminded that you are both a God of truth and love. There is no competition between the two. There is nothing conflicting in your nature, Father. Um, so I pray that you would uh, be with us, Father. Make us what we're not, but what we hope to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Y'all take your seat. Um, truth uh, and love often seem like they're competing. They're in a competition. The scenario has taken place thousands of times and been the source of many a conflict in a home. Uh, it starts a little something like this. Do these jeans make me look fat? Truth and love seem to conflict, don't they? That there are times where that tug is felt that I want to be truthful, but I love you so much and I care about the way that you feel. So truth becomes hard at times to share with somebody that you love and you don't want to hurt their feelings get that same question from somebody that you don't love and the truth becomes a little easier to tell, isn't, isn't it? That we all know some folks that uh, with people that they hate or that they're mad at, isn't it easy how free-flowing the truth can come? Even when you're not asked it, you'll volunteer truthful information. I'm painting with a broad uh, brushstroke here, but do you see what I mean about how sometimes truth and love seem to compete, um, not just in the world that we live in, not just in uh, fights behind closed doors, but especially in spirituality, especially in Christianity, when we talk about a God that is both a God of truth and a God of love. We've seen Christians kind of choose sides of the spectrum, right? So you have hellfire and brimstone folks who constantly talk about God being a God of truth. And the picture that they paint is uh, like if we all were playing a board game, God is that guy that sits there and doesn't want anybody to have fun because he's just trying to make sure that everybody plays by the rules. And this type of Christianity where God is just ready to enforce his law and punish people can sometimes feel like a turnoff. We emphasize God's truth at the expense of his love, and it's destructive because nobody wants a God like that. 
But on the flip side, you have folks that talk about a God being a God of love. And if the first one was hellfire and brimstone, uh, these folks are happy, full of freedom and butterflies. That if, if they were to talk and we could see their words closed captioned, their words would be written in cursive with hearts on the I's and the J's. And they talk about how God is love and he's good and he's kind and he's so loving that he would never send anybody to a hell. That's, that's not the God that we serve, that this is a God, uh, this is a Christianity that can coexist, that can come alongside. Let's talk about all the things that we have in common. A Christianity that's tolerant. But what we quickly find out is that that's no Christianity at all. The tolerance that's lauded uh, is nothing more than an indifference to truth. And if a hellfire and brimstone God is destructive in that it'll push folks away, uh, this God that is exclusively a God of love at the expense of truth is deceptive in that it'll bring folks near and draw them to absolutely nothing that will save them on the last day. Truth and love seem to be in a competition which one is right, while none of us would fall in the extremes, all of us fall somewhere in between and we lean to one side. Maybe you're a truth teller and you're just somebody that likes to give it how it is. Maybe you're a lover and uh, you enjoy being able to care for people's feelings. Um, Here's one thing that I know about all of us. Regardless of how much you value truth or love, um, You see the benefit in both. So if you're married, you likely married your opposite, right? My wife is the truth teller. I'm the lover. If you have friends, you're likely best friends with somebody that's your opposite. We see the value in both of them, but but they still do feel like they're competing. And so the question that I have is this, what's more important for a church to have? If we had to choose one and only one, is it more important that a church is a truthful church or church is a church that loves? This conflict in between truth and love is not something that's new But the intersection, the answer to this question is found once again on one of the clean pages of our Bible. The pages of the scriptures that we don't go to often, that don't have many marks on it, books that are forgotten. This is John's concern here in 2 John, and I just want to tip my hand at the beginning Uh, Asking which one is more important is presenting a false dichotomy. What this book is going to get, what John wants to help us see, um, is that truth and love don't compete with each other. Truth and love complete each other. You can't have one without the other. Uh, They are inseparable like two sides of the same coin. They're complementary like two petals on a bicycle, they cooperate like a soil and seed. A soil does you no good if you don't have anything to plant in it. A seed does you no good if you have nowhere to plant it. Truth does you no good if it's not rooted in love. Love does you no good if it's not rooted in truth. They complete the other. Um, I'm reminded of a scene in a movie. Jerry Maguire, right? We all know that scene, right? He comes in at the end, he busts through the door, he looks at Renee Zellweger, and he says these words. He says, "Uh, you complete me. And then as he goes on, he says, no, Justin, he's getting ready to start, and she says, shut up. Shut up. (laughs) You had me at hello. No explanation needed. That's all I had to hear. Um, John's not like that. John's going to make the same point. But he's going to say this explanation needed. It's not that plain. Just these words on the screen don't change anything. So John's going to write this book. And here's what I want us to see, y'all. Truth and love, they don't compete 
they complete each other. And if we are going to be a church that displays uh, Christ's love to the world, there's going to be two things that we have to do. There's going to be something that we have to have our eyes and our hearts set on. And this is the point of John's book. John is an old guy um, at this point who has an affection for this church. And he's going to tell this church two things, two ways to ensure that God's truth um, and love are adequately represented to this church. And he's going to tell them to do two things. The first one is this, uh, walk in the truth. And the next one is watch out for lies. So if you're going to take notes, those are the two big points. Walk in the truth and watch out for lies. What I love about John is in first Second and third John, John's primary concern is that Christians have an assurance of their salvation. First John 5.13, John says, I write this to all you who believe in the name of the Son of God. For everybody that would raise their hand and say that they're Christian, John's like, I don't want anybody to have doubts about where they'll be when they die. So he writes this to assure Christians. And here's what I love. Throughout all of these, John is constantly going to talk about the way that Christians, the way that you and I find this assurance that we're with Christ is not in being perfect. It's not about perfection. It is about our direction. Where are you walking? And so his primary concern here, his first concern is going to be about where it is that they walk. And here's what I love about John. John is known as the, the disciple of love. He very much is concerned with, with truth, but the truth that he's going to give them is sandwiched in between encouragement. And so here's what I want all of us to know about walking in truth, that what God wants from us uh, is God is a God that rewards obedience. He's not saying do this or else. He's saying do this because. So look, let's start here at verse one. Here's what it means to walk in the truth. Or here's what comes when we walk in the truth. Um, the community that we have as a church is rooted in truth. Verse 1, the elder to the elect lady and her children. John is not writing this um, to a mom and her kids. He's going to use this term to talk about this church. And John's going to use this term of endearment that should remind us that when the Bible talks about the church, he talks about the church as the bride of Christ. So anybody that comes in to mess with the church knows uh, that the church has an all-powerful husband that you should look out for. I'm not a fighter. Uh, I haven't really been in a real fight since the sixth grade, uh, but I've been close a, a few times, and they all stemmed uh, around somebody disrespecting my wife. You disrespect my wife, you have a problem with me. As John starts this letter to encourage this church, he starts off and he lets them know, yo, yo, y'all are God's bride. He's setting the tone and he goes on and says this. To the elect lady and her children, whom I love, listen, in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the, the truth, because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us, forever. Do you see how he described his truth the, or, or his love, the source of his love from the church? It didn't come based on sentimentality, but reality. John says, this is a church that I love in the truth, that his love is not based on feelings. His love is based on fact. And when John's going to talk about this concept of the truth, it's not just an ambiguous truth. Whenever he refers to truth, he's pointing us to the message of a God who incarnated himself in flesh, Jesus Christ, who came and lived the life that we couldn't live so that he could stand in the pathway of God's righteous wrath that we deserved. And he could create a bunch of people that were rebellious against God and turn them into a close-knit family. So John starts off and what he says is this, that this love that he has is not based on how he feels, but it's based on fact, the truth. Yeah, let me put it to you this way. This truth affected the way that he walked. I don't care how you feel about gravity. 
that fact is going to change how you walk when there is a cliff nearby. It doesn't matter if you say, man, I don't really like it today. Um, Your actions are going to reflect not how you feel, but the belief in the fact. And John's saying the same is true when Christians find themselves near other Christians. This community that he has is not rooted in how he feels uh, about people. It's not rooted in how rude they are. It's not rooted in how racially insensitive they may be. It's not rooted in how uncompatible they feel. John says, this love that I have for you, it's rooted in the truth. And look there at verse 2. John says, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. John is that guy that sits down at the table for a meal, and before anybody else comes, he orders food for everybody and says, y'all are going to like this. That what John's saying is, no, 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 this love that I have for Christians is rooted in the truth. God's truth is the center of the community that I have. And everybody that would call themselves a Christian has this same love. The implication is that all true Christians love God's church. Not because of who is in the church, but because of who put the church together. That as we walk in the truth, the community that we have is not based on how we feel. It's based on this fact that we don't partition ourselves, separate ourselves into categories of like-minded people. We obey God and we walk in this truth And this truth connects us to people that we would have never been put with ourselves, and we find God's unique blessing in the way that he's partnered us with people that we weren't wise enough to put with ourselves. And John says, yo, that to walk in the truth is to have a community that's rooted in the truth, but not just a community, but a confidence rooted in the truth. Uh, Basketball is a game of confidence. Right. So, you know, if you're playing right, the more shots that you hit, the more people you cross up, like the more confidence that you get and it grows and grows and people actually perform better with the confidence that they have. We tend to think of Christianity the same way. Right. That it's like, all right, man, I've really done good. I haven't lied. I haven't cheated. I haven't stole. My confidence is up and I know that I'm going to do good. And my confidence wanes when I feel like I haven't done all that God asked me to do. What John's trying to help us see here is that, you know, as as we walk in the truth, our confidence is not based on our performance, but the promises of God. Look here at verse 3. Verse 3 says this, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. What's unique about this here is that everywhere else that you'll, you'll see Paul uh, talk about grace and peace, it's a prayer. He prays, God, I pray that grace and peace will be with you. As John sits it here, it's not a prayer. It's a declaration. So what he's saying is for everybody that's Christian, for all of us that have put our trust in the Lord, here's what I want us all to know. Yo, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. Grace is this, God gives me what I don't deserve. Mercy is this, God doesn't give me what I do deserve. Peace is this, God gives me all that I need. And what he says here is that for people that walk in the truth, their communities want a truth, but their confidence is rooted in the fact that everything that I need to be faithful to God, it is a guarantee that God will give me. Or like a preacher said, um, every bad thing that takes place in your life will work out for good. Every good thing that God gives you can't be taken, and the best is still yet to come. We're not a shouting church, but I'll tell you all that you all missed a good shouting spot. (laughs) What he's saying is that what we don't deserve has been provided to us by God. So all the mistakes that you and I have made in our lives, all the things that we would sit back on, all the ways that we've missed the mark, 
because of what Christ has done, His grace covers that. All the bad things will work out for good, even the things that we've done wrong. God doesn't give us the things that we do deserve. How many times has God, in His kindness, spared us from consequences of things that you and I knew that we should have deserved and peace? All of this is going to be with us. And so what does that do for us? It leaves us with this sense of we're going to be all right. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that regardless of where our world is headed, do you really believe that regardless of all the opposition that comes our way that those of us that have put our faith in Christ are going to be all right? We're not frantic. We don't panic. Whether a president is installed or impeached, whether the things go the way that we hope or they don't hope, we are a group of folks that never run around frantic as if the sky is falling and our peace is based on how well we perform. Grace, mercy, and peace has been provided for all of us that have put our faith in Christ through Christ. So Christian, if you are in here and your head is hanging low, lift it up. Because God is on our side, we are always victorious. Christians are never underdogs in the grand scheme of things because we have the champion on our side. And John starts this off. Listen, this is a situational letter, which means this John is not at his house getting an email from his publisher saying, hey, John, first John was a big hit. You should write another one. John's writing this book based on the fact that there's danger. And he starts off saying, yo, this is great. We got a community that's rooted in truth. I love y'all. We have a confidence in truth. And as he walks in this truth, if we're really confident that Jesus is on the throne, then even in the midst of problems, we don't start with problems, but we start with praise. Look here at verse 4. His celebration is rooted in not how bad things are right now, but in the good that God is actually doing. Look here at verse 4. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth in keeping with a command that we have received from the Father. John starts off here. And those phrases, he says, yo, I was very glad to see some, not all, but some. There's a problem that he's going to get to as it relates to truth, but that problem doesn't preclude him for praising God for the faithfulness that he already has done. As John talks about this concept of truth, it's not just about these beliefs that they have, but it's about behavior. John says, I'm glad not just to see some folks that can spout off truth, but I'm glad that I see people that are in the church actually behaving this truth. He starts off with a praise, and I'll just say this as well. You and I, as Christians, would do very, very well to begin any encouragement or correction that we have with praising the good things that God has done. We would do very well to have what's called hawk eyes that what a hawk has are these eyes where they can spot a rabbit moving in a bush from a mile away. And as they spot that little movement, their eyes make it large where they can zoom in. So what they do is they make a much of a little movement. We as Christians should make so much of a little bit of faithfulness question when you tell somebody else when you call them and say hey we need to talk what do they think's coming do they think a critique's coming do they think it's a problem is that the only time that a conversation is initiated that's not what we do if we really have a confidence that things are going to be all right that all the bad is going to work out for good that the good things that we have won't be lost and that the best is still yet to come, that you know what that does for us? It gives us the freedom to celebrate the amazing things that God is doing right now. We can make much 
out of a little faithfulness. This is what it means to walk in the truth. And lastly, here's, here's where we get to this love part. Walking in the truth is not just about our community being rooted in the truth. It's not just about our confidence being rooted in the truth. It's not just about our celebration being rooted in the truth. It's about our calling being rooted in the truth. That our calling is clarified. Look, here what he says, uh, starting in verse 4b. He says, in keeping with a command we have received from the Father. So now I ask you, dear lady, not as if I were writing to you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning that we... Love one another. And, and here's what John's going to do. He's going to give two definitions. And both of the definitions need each other to be a complete definition. And this is love. That we walk according to his command. This is the command that you have heard it from the beginning. That we walk in love. Here's what I love about the Apostle John. Is that he talks to this church that's undoubtedly struggling maybe with what it is that they should do. They live in a world where there are people that are constantly trying to repackage or reinterpret Christianity, saying that you need to do more of this. And what John does is he says, hey, there's some truths that we have, and here's some of the the truths that we know about God. Uh, God can't lie. So do you know what that means? You can trust everything that he says. God is all-knowing. Do you know what that means? It means that God can't learn. It's it's not just that there's no one to teach him. It's that it's impossible for him to learn. So what that means is that it's impossible for him to change his mind. And if it's impossible for him to change his mind when he gives us instructions, it's not as if he's going to come back later and says, ah, if I would have known that things were going to go this way, I would have had you do this or do more. The instructions that God has given the church once and for all are good for all times. So what this does right here is it clarifies our calling, especially with a group of folks, uh, especially in a world that makes so much of purpose and people doing the extraordinary. And what has God called me to do? And there's something that I need to do with my life. What John's saying here is, I ain't got nothing new for you except for what I've been saying from the start. And do you know what that is? That you would love one another. And John's saying, don't mess with a classic. Remakes are never better than classics. Except for when Jodeci remade Stevie Wonder's Lately. That was better. But outside of that, remakes aren't better than the classics. Y'all listen, 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 listen. And I really want you to hear this. Old is not bad. New is not always better. What John's saying is if we have a God that can't lie, that knows all, that is all powerful, so you don't even need to come up with a plan B because he's going to make sure that things succeed, that you and I can spend our time doing the things that he's called us to do, and it clarifies our calling, and here's the beauty of it. You and I don't even have to come up with how it is that we're going to love. God's scripture commands how we're to love. So here's what we do. We take all of our lives. And take all of God's word and try to put all of his word into all of our lives. So he says, this is love, that you walk according to his commands. And this is his command, that you walk in in love. That you can just go through the Bible and take the positive and negative commands that God commands one another. And look at how this would play out in the life of the church. Positive, God says this. Forgive one another. Bear burdens. As I go through this, just think in your head, when was the last time that you did this? Forgive one another. Bear one another's burdens. Be kind to one another. Be patient. Confess your sins. Spur one another on. Encourage one another. 
greet one another, comfort one another, pray for one another. Those are simple. Those are plain. Every week that we walk in, we have 250 people that we can choose one and do that with. But God's word is not just full of positive commands. He has these ones as well, negative ones. Don't slander. Don't bite and devour. Keep your teeth to yourself. Don't grumble. Don't lie. Married couples, uh, don't deprive one another of intimacy. Do you know what this does? Do you know what God has done in his wisdom in telling us the most important thing for us to do is to love one another? And then to give both positive and negative commands. Here's what he does. He makes it absolutely impossible for anybody that calls themselves Christian to be passive in loving. Here's what I mean by that. God tells us to be at peace with one another. He tells us don't slander. So what do you do if somebody slanders you? Do you know what's not here in this word? Hold grudges, stand back, and wait until they come back and apologize. We're told to actively pursue peace. So what this does is that in a Christian body, in a body, even offenders, even people that have done wrong, are actively pursued for the purpose of peace. Do you know what convinces a lost world that there is a God that loves them so much that even though they've done unexplainable things, that he will still pursue them? Not words of truth. Walking in truth. Walking in this, in this basic truth that what God wants from us, what your call is, is to live your ordinary life extraordinarily well. So that a world that looks at friendship and wants it desperately inside the context of a church can see a bunch of people that don't just say a truth Christ died on the cross for my sins he saved me when I was unloved me uh, or unlovely and he loved me and he stepped and he didn't wait for me to apologize before he took the L to come to me it puts feet to all of that so a world that wants friendship looks inside the context of the church and says they may not do these great big and grand things, but they have friendship. It shows a lost world what marriage looks like. You'll never convince anybody that there is a God that forgives sinners if you hold grudges. If you forgive, if you lay your forgiveness out before an apology comes, you know what you can convince a world of? Uh, that there actually was a man, God in the flesh, that came down, lived a life, and did absolutely nothing wrong and prayed for his oppressors while he was on a cross. And it doesn't take place in anything extraordinary. It's in you and I living our lives extraordinarily well. And that comes as we walk in the truth. Listen, obedience and disobedience to what God calls us to do are self-fulfilling prophecies. If, if we're not obeying these simple commands in the simple context that God has called us to do it in, we're not going to enjoy the blessings that come from obedience. But if we do, if we make it the aim of our lives to live our ordinary lives extraordinarily well by walking in the truth of what God commanded us, you'll be surprised how God in his wisdom puts you with people that you didn't know that you needed. John says that the first step to convince this world of the great love of our God is to walk in truth, to pay close attention to the very things that God has called us to do. Uh, but he doesn't stop there. 
that this walk in truth is not a situ or it's not a stroll in the park. Um, it's a walk that's full of danger. Just because you're headed to a desirable destination, it doesn't mean that the road is not full of obstacles. And so as John tells us to walk in the truth, here's the, the point. Here's what he spends his time on. He tells us that as we walk in truth, that you and I have to watch out for lies. Look here at verse 7. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so you don't lose what we have worked for, but you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and don't greet him. For the one who greets him shares in his evil work. We're going to need a bit of background to uncover what he says. But the very first thing that you see here is God, uh, John contrasts. He's praising God because there's some that walk in the truth. But then he goes on and he tells them to watch out for lies. Why? Because there are many deceivers. John is speaking particularly about a group of folks here um, who didn't deny that Jesus Christ was actually a, a man that lived here in the world. So they talked and they said lots of good things about Jesus. But what he is saying is that they didn't confess that he came in the flesh. What does that mean? You have a group of folks here in this time that what they said about Christ was that Christ was just an ordinary man like all of us. When he was baptized, the spirit of the divine God came down on him uh, so that he could live his life in a way that would be a model to all of us. And then as he died, the Spirit of God left him, and he died this death on the cross. We may not know many folks in our world in our day and time that would say that, but really what they were trying to get at uh, is this. Uh, they didn't value what's called the incarnation. The fact that God himself came in the flesh to do something specific. What their point was, uh, and the way that they deceived folks, was they said a lot of good things about Jesus. Said a lot of good thoughts. He was a good teacher. He was wise. He actually did those things that he said. But I want you to hear this. Um, good thoughts said about Jesus aren't the goal. It's right thoughts about Jesus that defines Christianity and actually saves people. It's not about ideologies. It's about the incarnation. And here's what I mean by that. We live in a world where many folks will say things like, uh, I'm all about love. Jesus was all about love. Let's just spend our time and talk about love. And if, if we talk about love, then what that means is there's lots of people that can come in and accept this love. So yeah, we may disagree about certain things of, about Christ, but what does that have to do with our love? And what John's saying is, no, 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 listen. If you don't talk about what Jesus came to do, then you're leading people astray. That a, a half-truth masquerading as a whole truth uh, is a complete untruth. So here's what takes place with the ideology that Jesus was a good man, a good teacher, and what we should take from him is that we would love. Um, models don't save anybody. Right? So I can tell you the story of the tortoise and the hare, slow and steady wins the race, and it may even impact our lives and how we live and how we treat one another. Uh, but do you know what that story won't do? that story won't stop a bullet that's coming at you. Do you know what you need if there's a bullet aimed at you on its way to you? You don't need a model. You don't need a story. You don't need a fable. You need something or someone to stand in between you and that bullet. Jesus is not just a model. Jesus is our 
mediator. So look here at 1 John. Look at this. 1 John 1, 7 says this. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 2, 2. He himself, listen, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. 1 John 3, 5. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. 1 John 4, 4. Love consists, or 4, 10. Love consists not in this, that we loved God, but God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Why am I reading all of that? I'm reading all of that to help you and I see that what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1.10 is the truth. That Jesus, the reason why he came in the flesh was not just to provide a model for how you and I are to live. is not just to provide morals and stories for how you and I can love better and really show the world that we, we love. Uh, that's to separate Christ's incarnation from the reason why he came down. If all God needed to do was give us a model of how to live, he would have given us a story. He wouldn't have provided his son. What Jesus does is he comes down to earth and he walks in truth. And he spends his time and he talks about this truth. And do you know the truth that he presents that makes everybody upset at him? Is that all of us are candidates for God's wrath. The truth that he presents is that there is a holy God that is not indifferent to an ounce of evil. And what that means is that even if you have an ounce of it, you are not okay. And what does that do to people that spent their whole lives trying to prove that they're okay? They can either get rid of their life savings that they've built up, and look back at all the things that they've done and said, well, if this is true, then I've wasted my whole life and I have to start over, but I don't want to start over. Or they could say like Paul, man, everything that I've saved up, if this is really true, then I'm going to bet my life on this. Jesus came not just to teach you and I how to live better. Um, Jesus came because even though the sky is not falling right now, what he says is, um, God's wrath actually remains on all of us. And it's a very good thing, like we talked about last week. Comfort for people that are oppressed is knowing that God actually has enemies and he's going to deal with them. What that does for us that accept that truth is we quickly find out that the Bible tells us that you and I are not God's friends. That we were born into sin. Something that we didn't choose, but we've been corrupted. God's rightful wrath rests on us. But in God's love, he sent Jesus to die for our sin. So the most important, the most prominent thing that we talk about when we talk about what Jesus came to do is not primarily a way of life that he teaches us, although that's good, but we're never going to get that way of life if you and I are on death row. Jesus frees us from the wrath of God and he imparts us with what we need to walk with God. And this is the most important thing about our Christianity. It's the most important thing that you and I hold or keep with. And so John goes on this. In verse 8, he just tells us this, watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may maintain a full reward. John's not concerned about you and I losing the salvation. Jesus bought it. We have it, and it's sure 
But John's reason for wanting people to be assured of their salvation um, is that the mark of a true Christian is that they persevere to the end. And John is concerned because he knows that falsehood, that lies, that things that would distort who Christ is, um, those don't come without consequences. Lies hurt people. Falsehood is destructive. And his concern is that we can either be bulldogs for truth or be indifferent to truth in the name of love, but an indifference to injustice like we talked about last week is injustice. It's not loving. And so John's going to root that they would walk uh, in the truth. Verse 9. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. John's going to give us a way to spot out false teachers um, as well as a way that you and I are to not just spot them out, but blot them out. Here's the first thing that he says, that the way that you can spot out somebody that starts to mess with what's the most important doctrine and truth for all of our lives is that they spend their time um, on innovation and not investigation. That what John's saying is they don't remain in the truth. They've gone on ahead. Jesus is leading the caravan to get towards the kingdom, and they come through and say, he's moving too slow. Let me drive to the front of the line. These are the folks that spend all their time saying that this classic Christianity that we have, that we're spending our time, that what God wants most from us is that you and I love one another. They're saying that's not enough. What you really need is this. What you really need is to be all about this. And what takes place, you have a group of folks that leave the context of the church and they segment themselves along these, these party lines that neglect the very reason that Christ came. John's concern is that as you and I walk in the truth that we would watch out for lies. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and do not greet him for the one who greets him shares in his evil work. Here's how he concludes that. John is not saying um, that anybody that doesn't believe exactly what you believe about Christianity, don't invite them into your house. He's got a specific group of folks in mind, these deceivers, people that are propagating this message of Christianity that takes out the most important thing that Christ himself came to do. And we have to remember in the context, he talks to this church. John is concerned that this church walks in the truth And that they watch out for lies. And so as we come to a close, I just want to leave us with a few things. And the very first one is this. Um, When it comes to the Christianity that we have, the stuff that God has called us to do, uh, there's no room for complacency or for you to be a passive listener when it comes to anything that has to do with Jesus. One of the best ways that you and I guard against falsehood is to know the truth. And here's what I mean by that. Um, It's not enough for you to go to a Bible-preaching church. It's not enough for you to be confident that you have pastors and or friends that know God's Word. The beauty of Christianity is that the message in it is simple enough for a child to get. So it's not that it's complex, but you and I have to hold on to it. And what that means is that we have to be active in our study. We have to know our Bibles. Those of us that have been blessed to be able to grow up in a country where it's mandated that all of us that have been this age had been in a school where we could have learned to read. That's one of God's great blessings for you and I to spend all of our time and to know Him and not to passively sit back, not to come from week to week expecting that the only engagement or the most meaningful engagement that we get from God's Word would come from this time right here. The goal is 
not that you would lean on your pastors, but that you would lean on your Savior. So that as you find yourself responsible for kids that you raise, for friends that lean on you, that you never have to point them to somebody else, but you can show them with truth what God's Word says. Go after people, um, not that are aiming to make you dependent on them. Go after people that are aiming to make themselves dispensable. That what we want to do week in and week out is leave you with God's word. We want to be an assistance to you, but we never want to be a crutch. And lastly, give yourself to practicing this Christianity. Give yourself to walking in the truth, the best way for God's word and God's truth to settle deep into our lives is for us to walk in it. Our love grows and bears the most fruit in the rich soil of the truth. You and I don't have to choose in between truth and love. Truth is the soil um, that the fruit of love grows out of. Our love will grow soft if it's not strengthened by the truth and our truth will go grow stale if not softened by love they complete each other and the only way to fully love is to hold on to the truth i pray that we would do that as a church let's pray father we come once again um, asking you to help us to be those whose lives are rooted in the truth about you and your son Help us to hold tightly and firmly to that truth, Father. Uh, I pray that uh, as we prepare for baptism today that we would celebrate um, what's been done here, Father, that uh, your truth and your love have met in the lives of three people, God. Uh, Lord, I pray that, uh, that we as a church would be a church that is confident uh, that we have the truth about you, that we would never let it go because we know that that's where our love grows. Uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.